in the way of announcements, just a reminder that we have our uh, daily breads that are out here on the counter or on the table of, in the foyer and on the table just on the other side of this wall there in the fellowship room. And uh, to let you know that we've ordered some large print daily breads, and uh, they may be here so, as soon as next Sunday. Uh, they didn't come in the same shipment, so I'm, you know, they, for whatever reason, got separated or whatever. But uh, so we've got these already, but we do have some large print coming. So if you know anybody that would uh, benefit from that, uh, we'll have those uh, hopefully available next week. And uh, in the way of prayer requests. Uh, obviously, to just convince, continue to pray for uh, Humboldt County, especially, but just uh, the, uh, the nation and the globe, with the reference to the COVID and all the different things. And, and people ask me, "What should you do?" And I just tell people, "You need to be prudent with what you know to do uh, to protect yourself and others around you." Uh, as a church, uh, we're wearing the masks and. Uh, you know, protecting each other that way, and uh, and again, if you have a difficulty uh, wearing a mask during the service uh, or sitting there or breathing, uh, you're not required to wear one. You were released from that, but uh, uh, just uh, we're trying to to take care of each other, and uh, so uh, we need to continue, like I said, to pray for this that God would just break the back of this virus and cause it to be gone. Yes. Okay, so, and, and I know a number of other people have got people in their family and extended family or neighbors. It's been outrageous here in Humboldt County for such a dispersion and, 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 and population. It's amazing that we've had the, the amount of people that have got it. But um, anyway, yes, we keep praying for that. And then also, uh, just this morning, uh, it, it, I wanted to make sure that we pray for the situation going on in Afghanistan and the the pullout that's going on. Uh, I don't know if you've caught the news as of this morning, but uh, Kabul has been invaded by the Taliban, and uh, not everybody's out that needs to be out. And it has nothing to do with your politics as to whether you think we should stay, go, how you feel about it. The bottom line is we need to pray for... Uh, our American people who are still there and also to pray for those who have come alongside the Americans and helped uh, in, in our situation there that are Afghans themselves because uh, they're targets as well. So uh, just keeping these people in, in our prayers. Um, let's pray. Father, we come this morning. Uh, we think of all of our, our military people we ask your, your protection over them. We ask, Lord, that uh, as, as this uh, evacuation goes, that you would, would protect them and get them out safely. And for those who have come alongside that are Afghans as well, uh, we ask, Lord, that you would be with them and uh, keep them safe, protect them, Allow them to get to places of safety where, where their lives will be uh, no longer in jeopardy. And again, we ask for your covering over the whole thing that your perfect will will be accomplished there. And Lord, for the, the COVID, which is not just here but global, we pray for all of the, 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 the nations that are... are having increase and and uh, Lord ask again that you would break the the back of this this virus break its cycle of contagion and uh, bring strength and bring healing Lord give the doctors uh, wisdom as to how to minister to the people we ask Lord that you would continue to give uh, science uh, a wisdom as to how to combat this and we ask Lord that you would bring healing to our loved ones, we think of of uh, immediate family members uh, that that have COVID. That we would ask, Lord, for their healing and, and for your touch on them, but also extended family and friends and family and community. Again, just break the cycle. We confidently leave this in your hands. 
And Lord, as we open your word together this morning, we also ask that you would open our hearts through your Holy Spirit, that you would guide and direct what we hear, that, what, that we will glean something from the message today that will strengthen our walk and our resolve to share your love and your mercy with others. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sorry, what? Hey, let's stop and do that right now. <laughs> Lord, uh, we also think in terms of, of uh, all of the different fires that are going on and the firefighters that are out there that are just uh, exhausted at this point. We ask that you would give them, I don't hesitate to pray for a supernatural strength to be able to protect them and keep them safe and at the same time accomplish the goal of, of getting these fires out. We ask that you would be with people, uh, give them wisdom as to when to evacuate uh, that they not uh, the people not stay behind and find uh, and, and cause super risks uh, that are not necessary, and uh, we just ask Lord that you would be with them, protect them, the firefighters, and we do ask for weather that would change and bring uh, rain and, and 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 assistance to putting these fires out. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Arlene. Well, I have the task today of sharing with you the, the closing of our of the Old Testament in the sense of uh, the last two books that we're going to be looking at. And somebody will say, well, didn't we just look at the last book? Well, yeah, we did uh, as far as the physical location in the Scripture. Uh, but we hadn't gone through First and Second Chronicles yet. And First uh, and Second Chronicles uh, joins along with First and Second Samuel and first and second kings as a history of the uh, Hebrew people and uh, uh, they they start uh, if you look at all three of those uh, combinations first and second Samuel first and second kings and first and second chronicles they cover the history from uh, the last judge Samuel to the uh, Announcement from Cyrus, the very last few verses of, of, of Colossians chapter two, or I mean uh, Chronicles, Second uh, Chronicles uh, is the last few verses of Second Chronicles is the uh, announcement that Cyrus opened the door and gave a decree that the Jews could come home and restore the temple and and rebuild it. So uh, it's a uh, full picture of, of what we've been discussing through the various prophets that we've gone through over the last several weeks. Um, Samuel uh, looks at things uh, through the eyes of, a, of, of the judges. Uh, First and Second Kings tends to be, uh, I guess you could call it a, a political record. Uh, it's more from the viewpoint of the prophets uh, as, as it records history. And then First and Second Chronicles is more of a religious record uh, put together by uh, the Levites and the priests, and it's believed to have been written by Ezra. Uh, and, and so you can see where that would come from is the idea of Levites and priesthood. And so as we look at First and Second Chronicles, uh, we'll get different... You'll get... Well, as you look at each one of the groups of books, you will get different information. They don't all cover the same information. For instance... Go through Second Chronicles. If you only had Second Chronicles as a historical reference point for the history from uh, Samuel the Judge through King David uh, up into uh, all the history that goes through that, and then and finally uh, the exile uh, of the Hebrew people into Babylon and, and the open door to return, you would not know about David's sin with Bathsheba. You would not know about. Uh, uh, Different uh, situations uh, that had come up through the kings—they just—they just give genealogy after genealogy after genealogy of what goes on, primarily focusing on the genealogies of David and Solomon. You wouldn't know about Solomon's sin either, if you were just going from First and, and Second Chronicles. So you'd need all three of them to pull the full history together. But the the again First and Second Chronicles. Uh, the concentration is on the history of Judah. Uh, like I said, 
genealogy after genealogy focusing on David and Solomon. And Second Chronicles, chapters 1 through 9, focus on Solomon and, and his reign in Judah. And within the framework of those first nine chapters of Second Chronicles is uh, Solomon's prayer for wisdom. He asked what, you know, he, what he would want and he asked for wisdom. Um, we, it records the building of the temple. It records of the Ark of the Covenant being brought into the temple, uh, finally coming out from underneath the tent that it was in and coming into the, uh, the temple. Um, and so we come up to chapter 6 of, of uh, Second Chronicles or, and, and, and we look at uh, various aspects of what was going on. Let me, I want to read uh, chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 to you. It says, Now the Lord has fulfilled His promise that He made for, uh, made. For I have risen in the place of David my father, this is Solomon speaking, and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the house of the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, and there I have set the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that He made with the people of Israel. So He's establishing what He's accomplished according to the, the, what God said would be done. And so Solomon is speaking to the people at this point, letting them know this is where we're, we are. And then in verses 12 through 42 is a very lengthy prayer of, of Solomon, a prayer of dedication, de- temple dedication and thanksgiving. So uh, you have all of that going on in those uh, first six chapters. And then we get to chapter 7. And if you haven't noticed, I'm really parrying this down because there was no way I was going to cover everything. And so I'm, I'm going to focus now on chapter 7 and, and parts of that. Uh, in chapter 7, uh, the first three verses, it says, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord in the, on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Can you imagine? I mean, it just... The, the the presence of the Lord, you know, filling His temple with such a a, a glory that they, they say the fire came down and and, and filled the, the temple, but it wasn't a fire that consumes. Does that sound familiar? Like a burning bush fire or anything else? It's, it's the fire of the Lord comes down and fills the temple to the point where the priests can't even get close to it, and the people fall down and start to worship and praise God. And so this is the situation that's going on. The temple has been completed. They prayed, Paul or Solomon uh, prays for it, and then God says, "I." Ex- this is God's way of saying, "I accept this as my dwelling place." Uh, in verses eight through ten, uh, it says, "At that time, Solomon held the feast for seven days." And all Israel with him, a very great assembly from Lebohamath to the, the, the brook of Egypt. Those are geographical locations. And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly, for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the twenty-third day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart, for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. What, a, what an awesome point in time in the, in the history of, these, of, of the people here. And so we pick up at, at, at uh, verse 11, and I'm going to go in more detail through the next few verses. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house. This is kind of a summary. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, 
he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. In other words, I receive this place. We see a very clear sense that God is blessed. He's been glorified. He's been worshipped. And He is pleased with His people. And then 13 jumps out at us. Verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, I'm thinking, wait a minute, we just got all this glorious peace and, and everybody is set of joy. And then God says, basically, if I bring judgment against you, well, God knows what's the, the fluctuation of these people. As you go through the book of Judges, we go through First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel and First and Second Chronicles. We see the people up and down, up and down, and sometimes it's to such great sin that what happens? They're captive, they're held captive, they're in exile, they're in by Nebuchadnezzar, by by uh, Babylon, you know the the kingdom of Babylon, and and the end result is uh, that these things. And to the point where God even allows Jerusalem to be destroyed and the temple to be destroyed. So God's making a point here. When I, and notice he said when, he says not if. Meaning there is going to be a point of judgment when I, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Verse 14. If. And by the way, we start here, an if-then cycle. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a great person when it comes to math and, 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 and stuff like that. But there's, there's a principle of if-then. If this is this, then this must be this. And it throws through math, it goes through uh, logic, it goes through other areas of science, and it's just a a point blank. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attended to the prayer that is made in this place. So God is saying, if at some point, when at some point, I bring judgment against your people and your sin, if you will do something in particular, we can turn this whole thing around again. So it starts with, if my people, they're called by His name. What He's talking about is those who have confessed Him as in a personal relationship. And the question that has to come, does this apply to us as, as Christians today? And my answer to that is, in a general format, yes. Um, this was a thing directed directly to the people of, of the Hebrew nation, but the principles of this are the, the heart and conscious thoughts of God. And so as we look at this, there's an application that we'll look at for ourselves as well. But he's speaking specifically to the Hebrew people here. If my people called by my name, uh, if they will, and, and, and notice the very first thing is, if they will humble themselves. And I have to say, you know, you, you start to look at this and you struggle with it. At least I do. If I, if I humble myself, what does that, that mean, to humble myself? Huh? 
Okay, be less prideful. Anybody else want to throw something out? Be what? Okay, you could be comfortable if you're accountable, even if something would go with that. Um, I read uh, in one commentator, put it this way, to see ourselves as God sees us. I thought about that for a while. And the more I thought about it, the less I wanted to say it. Because, see, what God sees according to what Jesus tells us, He doesn't see just what we do, but He sees what's in here. As if we had done it, in a sense. You know, He says, if you just... What did Jesus say about murder and, 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 and stuff? He says, even if you think it, you are guilty. I think of myself, you know, I think about something and I realize, oh, that's wrong and I shouldn't do it. But just the fact that I thought about it, I need God's grace to work in my life. We forget that. You know, we think we're doing okay. We haven't physically done something that that we... and, And that is a victory of sorts. But we still need to come before the Lord and say, heal my mind. Heal my heart. Create in me what? A clean heart, O God. You know, when we say heal, I will heal their land, the emphasis is, is what caused the sin and what really needs to be healed is not just the physical land, but ultimately the heart. And that's why David writes Psalm 51. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. That is what it means to humble ourselves. And then, of course, there's another picture, and that says looking in the mirror. That's pretty marginal for me. Uh, looking in the mirror, I, I you know, I, 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 I see myself when I occasionally shave. Uh, <laughs> or you know, but you know, when you comb your hair, you brush your teeth, whatever you're you're in front of the mirror. Uh, that's a fairly common occurrence. It gets to the point where you you don't really even see yourself. But the idea was to look at yourself in the mirror and 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 like you're trying to look into your own eyes, into your own mind. And what I realized was is that really what he's saying is to look into your heart and use God's Word as the mirror. Looking into God's Word and seeing where you've fallen short. A spiritual self-examination is what we're talking about. If my people called by my name will humble themselves... Go through spiritual examination and see where you are in reference to God's Word in your life and your walk. Well, that means you need to be familiar with God's Word too, doesn't it? So, the assumption God is making here is that His Word is a part of our lives. A regular part of our lives. And of course... As a congregation, we've been reading through the, the Bible in, in a, in a one-year program. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've read, as reading through these things, I'll say, I say, oh, now I remember. Or in some cases, I, I, I still find myself saying, I didn't ever put this with that. And God opens our minds. Because every time we approach His Word, hopefully... Uh, if we've been living out His Word in our lives to the best that we can and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are in a growing process. I'll look at that in a minute. We need to humble ourselves. Use God's Word to examine. Spiritual self-examination. What stands between me and between what God wants me to be? Have you ever thought about that? What stands between you and what God wants you to be. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 5, familiar verses, uh, we're told, look carefully then how you walk. In other words, where you place your feet. What's the little song that goes with the kids? 
Be careful, little feet where you go, and little hands what you touch, and little mouth. You know, go through all that that whole thing. Okay, there's a there's an emphasis here. You have where we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. God says basically, my people called by my name, whom I want to bless. You live in a fallen world. So you need to be careful. And you periodically, and the periodically seems to be something we should be doing daily, do a self-examination, a spiritual examination, see how you're doing. And be careful with the things that you do. Because the days are evil. What does that mean? Well, because the days are able to tempt you away from where God would want you to be. So don't be foolish, Paul goes on and writes to them, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I'm thinking, boy, that's a large request. Understand what the will of the Lord is. But let's keep it in context here. With these verses, he explains to us what the will of the Lord is for this Application. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's capital S. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't get drunk on the things of the world. Don't get caught up with the things. Be careful where you walk. Don't get caught up with all the things that are a distraction that are of the world and not of God. Because if it's not of God, it is evil. That's a harsh line to draw. We have to be careful. Now, are we going to escape seeing evil things? Are we going to escape hearing evil things? Are we going to escape uh, getting you know, touched by evil things? No. That's, what he's saying is be aware of it. Look around. See it. And identify it. And don't let it drag you away from me. God is saying. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled with the world. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this idea of humbling yourself is, is it requires the Holy Spirit's work in us. And so we have to confess we are not able to do this in our own strength. I need the Holy Spirit to come into me and be a part of my life as I assess what I'm doing and going through and ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to keep God's Word coming to my mind as I go through the day. And then he says that we need to seek His face. He says, my people who are called by my name, they'll humble themselves and seek my face. The idea of to seek the face of God is to seek to spend time with Him. Seek my face. The only way, it's not just something you can casually do and say, oh, I'm seeking your face, Lord. (laughs) Seeking your face is an activity of involving yourself, of drawing close to God. Seeking Him out. To seek His face. Idea to see Him clearly. What's what's the, the, the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, or and might. You know, depending on you know, which, which one you use, and, and mind and might go together. So the idea is we are to love the Lord with everything that we are. And when things distract us away, we need to be aware that that's what's happening. Jesus in the Beatitudes, chapter five, uh, Matthew chapter five, verse six: hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now I am keenly aware of what it is to hunger and to thirst. However, I've never—I don't know hunger like foreign countries do, obviously. You know, but but uh, I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to be thirsty. I keep a bottle of water by my bed. I have a bottle of water here. You know, I, you know, I, my mouth gets dry. Uh, I, I, I thirst. 
my stomach grumbles and, and I'm saying, oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> and, and, and my body probably doesn't need anything right then, but I, you know, I, hunger and thirst. And so I, I put this in, in the sense of, of, of what I look at for me and I said, Bob, what do you hunger and thirst after the most? Is it the Word of God? Is it the face of God seeking His face? To know Him and His Word. Then I came to an interesting conclusion for myself. You can apply this to yourself if you want. Where I spend my time reflects what I hunger and thirst after. Where I spend my time reflects what I hunger and thirst after. Now, is it wrong for me to, to, to spend time watching the television or watching the news? or, or all this? I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, what's got the, my attention the most as far as my drive and my desire? Do I desire at the top of my list to hunger and thirst after God? And where I spend my time does indeed, when if I take an evaluation of that and I humbly approach the throne of God and do that spiritual evaluation, I will find some things that I probably need to make adjustments. Well, as you find those things that you need to make adjustment to, it goes right along with what this prayer was. If you humble myself, my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and ultimately then turn from their wicked ways. I, I, I would have liked to use a different word than wicked. Because the reality is anything that's not of God comes under that category. If it doesn't declare God come in the flesh. I didn't write this. John did. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, if it does not declare that God has come in the flesh and identify Him, then it's of the... Go ahead and say it. It's of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is with us today. And that was when John was writing. All I'm wanting to say, though, is how important this prayer is. It's used for revival and a lot of other things uh, in general context, but I, I believe it's to be used first and foremost for my personal revival. By the way, you can't revive anything that hasn't lived. <laughs> so we have to be alive in Christ and first to be revived. <laughs> And, and so this idea of, of my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. God says, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin. We have to turn. So you start to look at the word turn. It's the same word in, as repent. If we repent of our sins, if we turn from our sins, if we confess our sins and, and acknowledge that those are, are, are in our lives and confess them, God is faithful and just to what? Forgive us of our sins. And so if we will turn from our wicked ways, God will says, I will be faithful. I will forgive you. And he says he will hear, heal their land. And, 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 and I put in parentheses underneath that, heal our hearts. Some people think that if, if, if a church would just get together and pray for the nation of the United States, that it would change. I believe we could in, have impact, but I don't know if it's ever going to be a Christian nation again. But it would impact our churches if we were doing this. It would impact our hearts. It would impact our minds. Again, Ephesians chapter 5 says, Don't be drunk with the world. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 3, First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Okay. What could God do with His temple in the presence of all the people? He filled it. What does He want to do with us? Fill us with His Holy Spirit. With His presence. I read this uh, just uh, a while back, but I'll read it uh, a couple weeks ago. I'll read it again. 1 Peter chapter 2. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones being brought together. And so I realize that this idea of being the temple of God is, is both individual. My body is a temple for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That makes my body a temple. But collectively as the church, we are the body of Christ and we are to be a holy temple. Living stones brought together where God dwells and, and acts. It says the living stones uh, where we offer spiritual sacrifices. What is our sacrifice that we are to offer? I went through this when I shared this before. And Romans tells us that we are to bring ourselves as a living sacrifice. All of this has to do with this idea of humility and, and forgiveness and, and all the things that go with this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness, out of wickedness, into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the people of God. We are called by His name. And this application of, of chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, starting with the 14th verse, that prayer is appropriate for us to be praying today. I read a couple of commentators that said it was more directed towards the Hebrew people. Yeah, that's, there's a true statement to that. But we're told by Paul and, and, and uh, through Timothy that all of the Scripture is there to build up and to edify and, and to encourage us uh, and, 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 and build us up in Christ. By the way, what Scripture was he talking about at that point in time? The Old Testament. That was the Scripture that they had. And so I look at this verse in this chapter, verse seven, chapter 7, verse 14, and I, I see it as applicable to us today. So out of everything I took out of first, uh, out of first and Second Chronicles, and there's a lot of stuff there that's worth reading, that's what I got hung up on. And I just wanted to share that with you this morning. God is in us, among us, as the temple of God. And all of that has been cemented, if you will, by what the Hebrew people were looking forward to and what we look back to, what was accomplished at the cross. Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And so we come to God humbly with thanksgiving. God, I know I don't deserve this. If I got what I deserved, I wouldn't even be alive today. I wouldn't have, I, I, as soon as I accomplished my first wickedness, my first sin, I'd have been judged and that would have been it. 
But no, through God's grace and His mercy, He has pulled me along, opened my eyes to Him, and allowed me to come to a point today where I can say, thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. You tell me that I can plead your grace and your mercy with an absolute confidence if I'm resting in the blood of Christ. So as I confess Jesus with my mouth and I believe in my heart that He is the Son of God and that He has done all of this that we talk about in the sense of the cross for us to cleanse us of our sin, of our wickedness, and to give us the assistance through His Holy Spirit to turn away. How often do we need to do this? If I catch what John wrote in his, le- in his epistles, constantly. Because if we say we don't, we, 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 find, we came to the altar and we confessed our sins and we're clean and we have no sin, we lie. That's what he said. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to restore us to that point as if we had never sinned. Well, we come to the table of communion then true thanksgiving. As we look at communion and and share the cup and share the bread, He came in the flesh. He emptied Himself. I think of again going to to, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2 where it says that He came and emptied Himself and became a, a servant, even a servant to men, even to the point of the cross. So that we would have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. We're told uh, a difficult thing. We're told to work out our salvation. Some people look at that and say, well, we we can't work and earn it. I mean, it has nothing to do with earning. Work it out means we are responsible for coming to the throne of God, confessing our sins, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to come into us. We are responsible for putting ourselves in a position where that can happen through God's grace, opening our eyes and drawing us to Himself. That is accomplished. So communion, it's a thanksgiving. It's a celebration. It's a time of reflection and repentance. I'd ask the worship team to come and sing our communion song together. and Then we'll share communion. We're using the packet still, so if you didn't get one coming in, uh, feel free to go out and, and pick one up and, and while we're singing. Oh. 
Paul wrote to the Corinthians what's recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Share the bread. Paul continues, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us share. Notice it says, We prepare, we proclaim his death. In other words, what his death accomplished for us. Until he comes, which must mean he is what? Alive. He's no longer dead. The resurrection. He is alive. And so we come to celebrate what Christ has done, is doing, and is yet to do for us when we share in communion. Pray with me as we close. Would you stand, please? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to praise you, and we ask, Lord, that as we leave this place, we would take these words. My people would, who are called by My name would humble themselves. And the whole picture of that phrase, Lord, to humble, to come before You, to turn from our wicked ways, to declare who You are. All that goes with that. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit who indwells us we ask that You would bring this to mind frequently through the day that we might grow in our walk with You and our witness to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Great. 